turn over to Matthew chapter 11. We just got back from Austin, Texas. Our entire family was together for a birthday and we had a great time. It was fun watching the grandkids fight each other. And, uh, and I said, oh, this is like the Muslims and the Christians. <laughs> Okay, well, we're in Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to pick up at verse 16. Matthew eleven sixteen. Now, if you've been with us, you know that Matthew chapter 11 is about perceptions. And the chapter opens up with John trying to determine or evaluate or form a perception about Jesus. And then we have Jesus evaluating John and affirming John's message, John the Baptist's message, saying, well, if you can take it, he's of the Elijah who is to come. So you have John asking about Jesus, Jesus affirming John as the Elijah to come. And today, Jesus now gives his evaluation of the Jewish nation as a whole, the generation during his day and how they respond to his message. And we'll also see that the people of Jesus' day evaluate John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry as well. So here's how we're going to divide the rest of this, how we're going to divide this section. In verses 16 through 19, we have Jesus' evaluation of his generation. Jesus will evaluate the Jewish people of his generation. In verses 20 through 25, 24, you're going to have the Jewish people evaluating Jesus and John the Baptist. What is their opinion of Jesus and John the Baptist? So let's look at verse 16. We'll open up. This section opens up with a question. Now notice the question. This is Matthew 11:16. But to what shall I liken this generation? Now notice Jesus is trying to uh, he's going to evaluate this generation, which means this generation of the Jews, which would be his contemporaries. Notice in verse 16 the word likened. Do you see that? Jesus is seeking an appropriate comparison or an analogy that he can liken these people to. And he finds one. And here's what he said. To what can I liken this generation? It is like Children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. So there's the analogy that Jesus gives. <clears throat> so, first of all, I want you to notice that he likens the generation, his contemporaries, uh, to children. This would be elementary age children. Uh, notice the setting of these children. The setting is, in verse 16, children sitting in the marketplace. Uh, this is where children played in those days. Today they play on the street corners, or they play in a playground, or they go to the schoolyard, and if you wanted to see children play, that's where you would go. So Jesus likens his generation to a group of children who have gathered together, let's say like in a schoolyard, to play, okay? And uh, they're trying to get their friends involved in a game. See, it says, we played the flute and you did not dance. <clears throat> they're trying to get the other kids to join in a game. 
there are two games that the kids are playing in verse 17. The first game is the game of wedding, the wedding game. Okay. Now when you read that verse for the 21st century people, it doesn't quite sound like it's a wedding game, but it's a wedding game. The kids are trying to act like grown-ups. They're playing a game of grown-ups. Today they might play the game, little kids play the game of house. Or they play the game of being a doctor, you know. They they get all their kids together, and one's the mother, you know. When my kids were growing up, they played played the game of preacher. <laughs> they get a Bible down, they put it on the coffee table, and they start preaching. Well, why why in the world would they do something like that? Why would they try to mimic me, you know, Doctor Criswell or somebody like that? <laughs> Well, these kids are playing this game of wedding and they're trying to mimic the grown-ups. And notice the wording in verse 17. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. Now, Jewish weddings were very uh, joyous times. There was a lot of music and the music was, in those days, a flute. This is the, was the key instrument in Bible times. Flutes were played at banquets, and flutes were played at weddings. And so one group of kids are saying, let's play wedding, we're playing the flute. And at Jewish weddings, which this would have been, that they would be mimicking, the men danced. They never danced with women, they danced with each other. Remember Fiddler on the Roof? When there's a Jewish wedding, Orthodox Jewish wedding, they were men were dancing with each other. And so... Probably there's a group of kids playing. They said, come on, we're playing wedding. We're playing the flute. Dance. And it said, but look what it says in verse 17. You did not dance. They can't get the boys to join in. That's the first game. Now the second game they're playing is called the funeral game. Why would they play the funeral game? Because people died around them all the time. Funerals are very common. People died at a very young age. If you lived to be 50, you were, you know, you were a real survivor. So, and funerals were very graphic. And so it says, we mourned for you. Some translations say, we sang a dirge. And that's probably a better translation for you. And uh, we sang a dirge to you, but you did not lament. Now, in Jewish funerals, funerals, men sang funeral dirges. And the women began to weep and cry and beat on their breasts. And uh, women were actually hired to be professional mourners. That's what the job of a woman was at the funeral, was to be a professional, was to be a mourner. And she had to show her emotions. Uh, You see... On the news, in the evening news, when uh, someone in the Middle East dies and you see a funeral going down and the the women are going, ah, and doing all this kind of stuff. And they're very demonstrative. And so the kids are trying to mimic the grown-ups. And they say, well, we sang the dirge, but try to get the kids to join in, and guess what? Said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't lament. You wouldn't join in the game with us. Now remember what Jesus is doing. He's making a comparison. He's drawing an analogy. He's saying, he's telling us, or telling in this case, he's describing what the generation of Jews, his contemporaries, are like. 
He's drawing a comparison. And he's liking them to children who are playing a game and they can't get their friends to join in. Now look at the explanation. Here's the analogy. And here's the application in verse 18. For John, that's John the Baptist, because for this reason, right, he's telling, this is why he's telling the story, John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. Okay, so now he says, let me tell you what John's like. He had two stories here. One was a story of sadness, a story of gloom, a funeral, where you've lost your appetite. And the other is a story of a wedding, where you're joyous and you're feasting and you're having a great time. He said, well, John came. If you want to know what this generation is like, here's what it is. John came, and he didn't eat or drink. Now, when you don't eat or drink, that's called something. That's called fasting. And remember, he was calling the people to repent, to mourn over their sins. He said, you're far from God. Repent. Mourn over your sins. Repent in sackcloth and ashes. Because the kingdom of God's coming, and you need to be prepared, and you need to be have your sins forgiven. And what kind of response does John get? Very little response. Uh, he's like those kids that are playing the funeral, and they can't get other kids to join in. Israel as a nation does not join in and respond to John. In fact, what do they say about John in verse 18? They say as a demon. That was their evaluation of John. Notice, we're having an evaluation day here. What's your evaluation of John? He has a demon. He was as serious as you could get. But for the most part, Israel as a whole and their leaders basically reject John. They will not agree with John and do what John asked them to do. And look at verse 19. The Son of Man, this would be Jesus, he came eating and drinking. That's just the opposite of John, isn't it? What do you do at a wedding? You eat and drink. Okay? He came eating and drinking, and they said, look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, Jesus applies the funeral or the wedding scenario to himself. And uh, Jesus had a ministry of joy. John had a ministry that was much more austere and serious. Uh, Jesus' ministry and John's ministry are as different as night and day. John dressed in camel hair. He had locusts and he fasted for long periods of time. And what does Jesus do? Every banquet and every party that he's invited to, he shows up. He was just like Dr. Criswell. Remember that? <laughs> John's ministry was more like a funeral, and Jesus' ministry was more like a wedding. Now, Matthew's already told us this once. I want you to look back just two chapters to chapter 9. Chapter 9. And look down at verse 14, chapter 9 and verse 14. 
See if you remember that. Then the disciples of John came to him, that would be Jesus, and they said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? Notice that, fast. But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom's with them? See, he likens his ministry to a wedding feast, a wedding ceremony. He's a bridegroom. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they will fast. And then he goes on, he talks about old cloth and new cloth, and old wine and new wine. And so, Jesus and John the Baptist ministries are different. They come from the same source. Both come from God. Both are preaching God's message. But, John fasts, and Jesus hangs around with sinners and tax collectors. One of them would be Matthew. One of them would be Zacchaeus, the tax, uh, the tax collector, also called a sinner, who invites Jesus to a meal. So John fast and Jesus feast. Now, notice the two reactions okay, about Jesus. We know what they said about John. They said he had a demon. Now notice the reactions about Jesus in chapter 11. Number one, in verse 19... They said he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now we know, we've seen this before, because we all know the story of the prodigal son. We know the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, the prodigal son. Most of us don't know why Jesus ever told that parable in Luke 15. Luke 15 opens up with a group of Pharisees there and said, Ah! He hangs around with sinners and tax collectors. Same thing this says. Sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus then, based on that accusation, tells the three parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And remember what happens? After the coin is found, and after the sheep is found, and after the son comes home? Party on, dude! You know? <laughs> Jesus said, yeah, that's what, that's what I do. He said, these people are lost. My job is to bring them into the fold. And I, have, I hang around with sinners. And I hang around with tax collectors. And when these lost people come home, we feast and we celebrate. He said, by the way, you know that's what they do in heaven? When one sinner comes home, he said, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus reflects this kind of ministry. But they said he was a friend of sinners. And then they called him, in verse 19, a glutton and a wine-bibber, which means a drunk. To call him a wine-bibber and a, and a glutton is a reference to an Old Testament passage. And to show you how bad it is, I need you to see that passage. Okay? So I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Keep your finger there in Matthew 11, because we're going to come back there. <clears throat> I want to show you what ancient Israel believed about gluttons and wine bibbers. Deuteronomy chapter 21. This is going to give you a hint in how Jesus' contemporaries viewed him. In verses, when you get to Deuteronomy 21, you'll see in verses 18 through 21... There's a section that talks about sons. What do you do with a son who's rebellious? A lazy son who doesn't work. Okay? Just hangs around. Lives off his parents. 
and it says eventually his parents need to bring him to the leaders of the city. And then in verse 20 it says this, And they shall say to the elders of his city, Our son is stubborn. He's rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. There's the same phrase. Do you see that? He's a drunkard and a glutton. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So he shall be put away. You shall put away the evil from among you. And all of Israel shall hear and fear. Now this gives you a hint into how Jesus' contemporaries viewed him. They viewed John as one who had a demon. They viewed Jesus as a drunk, somebody who's worthy of death. After all, who is this character? He's 30 years old and he gives up his job. And he just starts walking around the countryside with 12 other guys. And he doesn't work anymore. Stops working, just lives off of people. He's like a leech. Anybody invites you to a party, he shows up. That's where he gets his food. And what should an elder son be doing? Shouldn't he be taking care of his mother? This kid abandons his mother. He's a 30-year-old kid. Unemployed, abandons his mother, lazy, looks for a party every night. And when they see Jesus, they say, drunkard, glutton, somebody that's not worthy of respect, somebody that's worthy of death. One has a demon, the other one's basically worthy of death. That's how they view Jesus. He's a drunk. Yeah, I'd like to invite him to a party, but every time we invite him to the party, he gets drunk. Doesn't have a holy liquor. That's how they see this guy, Jesus. But remember his point. His point is not how he's perceived. His point is, what's this generation like? Not what he's like. What are they like? And uh, they are like kids who don't join in. John has an austere ministry. And he says, join me, repent. The kingdom of God is in him. They don't join in. They view him as somebody that is their enemy. In fact, they arrest him, don't they? They cut his head off, don't they? That's how they view John, and that's what that generation is like. They're not responding to God's messenger, the Elijah who is to come. He's Elijah if you believe it. Do these people believe it? No. See? And Jesus, they reject Jesus as well. He invites them to come, and they say, ah, just a drunk and a wine-bibber. So, uh, both are Jesus, God's ministers. They take different approaches. Because they represent two different ages. John represents the Old Testament age. He's the old wine. He's the old piece of cloth. He has an austere ministry. Jesus represents the new age. Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a party. He invites them to join in to the kingdom. And uh, the generation, their generation, reject them both. Now... Look at verse 19, at the end of verse 19. But, but, wisdom is justified by her children. 
But wisdom, that's how they see us. But wisdom, the wisdom of God, is justified by her children. Now that's probably the hardest verse in this section to interpret. Um, it could mean that the gospel is the wisdom of God and you know who are God's children by those who accept it. If you don't accept it, you're not God's children. But you'll notice some of your translations have a little footnote or it says something like this, but wisdom is justified by her what? Her works or her deeds. Wisdom's children are her deeds. How do you know who is from God and how do you know who's not from God? Just look at their deeds. Look at their works. Does Jesus do mighty works? Yes, he does do mighty works. That should tell you something. That God is working through him. God was working through John the Baptist. See? And uh, by their fruits you will know them. So how do you know who's the real McCoy and who's the demon? Who should be worthy of death? Look at their deeds. They're the ones that are the children of God. And yet this nation as a whole does not join them. So, that's basically Jesus' evaluation of the nation as a whole. They have basically rejected John the Baptist's message and Jesus' message and their ministry. Now, Jesus evaluates the Jewish people. And uh, look what he says, how he, he lumps them all together in verse 20. Okay? He's passed this passage in this section. He's going to pass judgment on the Jewish people. They've rejected John's message. They've rejected his message, and now he pronounces judgment. Look at verse twenty. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which he did mighty works. See, if wisdom is justified by her works, her children, her deeds. Here we see Jesus did these mighty works, and they rejected the works. Look, so verse 20. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They didn't join in. They didn't accept. So, he's going to judge these cities and pronounce a judgment. He rebuked them. Why did he rebuke them? Because he did mighty works, and they did not repent. Okay. These are the main cities in Galilee where he did his greatest works. Look at verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Now we know very little about Chorazin, except that it's up in uh, the north, north of uh, Galilee. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. The word woe means judgment. It means judgment has been passed. We've seen it in Revelation. Remember when we said the first woe is passed and two more are to come? Revelation. So woe is judgment. What is the basis for the judgment? Look at verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For, here's why you're being judged. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon are Gentile cities. Cities of the Phoenicians. He said, they didn't have the advantage of seeing the mighty works that you've seen. I performed tremendous miracles in your midst. 
Those miracles were designed to bring you to repentance and you didn't repent. Had those miracles been done in these Gentile cities, those people would have been on their knees and they would have repented. So, but not you. They don't repent. Now the issue, now very carefully you need to realize this. The issue is not Chorazin and Bethsaida. He's just using this as an illustration. See? The issue is this generation. The issue is the people that he's talking to. Because look what it says in verse 22. But I say to what? You, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom, Tyre and Sodom in that day of judgment than what? Than you. You see that? Not Chorazin and Bethsaida. Yeah, they rejected him, but he's just using them as illustrations. The real issue is what? You've rejected him. You see that in verse 22? It is, but I say to you, it is more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for what? You. Who are the you? Yeah, they're the Jews. So there's that I say to you. Now watch this in verse 23. So Jesus is just using this rhetorical device as an illustration to show that all the people are that way. He just say, for example, let me tell you what happened over in Bethsaida. I performed these miracles and they reject. You know, they rejected and they didn't repent. And if that had been done entire inside, and they would have repented long ago. But really, this is about you. You've, re- you've rejected me. See? That's the thing that you need to get across. Now look at verse 23. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to the heavens, you have a very proud opinion of yourselves, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day, for Sodom was destroyed. But notice, again, the issue is works. But it's a comparison. He's using Capernaum and Sodom as a comparison. The real issue is the people that he's talking to, because look what he says in verse 24. But I say to who? You, that it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in that day of judgment than for who? For you. Who is the you? Well, the you is, back in verse 16, but the what shall I like in this generation? Jesus comes to his entire country, his generation, and for the most part, yes, there is a remnant. There are 11 who stand with him at the cross. But for the most part, they reject him wholesale, and especially their leaders. Now, what point is he making here? The point is that those who have more light, those who have more advantages, Uh, those who have more opportunities, those who see God operating miraculously in their midst, are going to be judged harsher than those without advantages, such advantages. And this generation, he's performed all these miracles and they've had the preaching of John the Baptist and Jesus and they reject that they've had all these advantages. It's not enough to call yourself a child of God. Where's the evidence? Where's the response? Now, let me just 
add one other thing here. How about us? How about our generation? That doesn't only apply to his generation. In fact, let's get real specific. Not only how about our generation, how about us in this room? Have we had more advantages than most people? Have we heard the gospel? Have we been at First Baptist Church for years, many of us? Have the greatest preachers in the world walked through the doors of that church across the street and preached in our pulpits, including Billy Graham and everybody else that you can think of? And the message has you know, been delivered week in and week out. If we don't respond in repentance and faith, with all these privileges, how much more severe will we be judged? That's why it's absolutely essential that when we hear the gospel, that we respond in faith, and we take a step, and we side with Jesus, and we repent and turn our back on that old way, and we say, God has revealed himself through mighty works, and we say yes to Jesus, and we say yes to the gospel. So, in this chapter, we see that John evaluates Jesus. He hears about his mighty works up in verse 2. And he says, are you the Messiah? He's making an evaluation of Jesus. And then Jesus evaluates John. And he says, John is the Elijah to come. He's the forerunner of the kingdom of God. And then the people, they evaluate Jesus and John the Baptist. Ah, John has a demon. Jesus is a glutton and a wine bibber. And now Jesus evaluates the people. You've had every advantage in the world. And you've rejected the light that you've been given. You will face the more sore judgment. But what about the rest? What about those poor people who haven't had any advantages and that these Jewish leaders have had? And just the humble people. What about them? Well, next week we're going to see... In verse 29, he will say this. Or verse 28, he'll say, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So at the end, he evaluates the rest of the people. He says, Come on, join me in this affair, and I'll give you rest. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we take a passage like chapter 11, which is so difficult, and we try to make sense of it. And uh, we see that Jesus chooses appropriate analogies and comparisons. What would he say about us? Lord, what is your opinion of us? What would you say about those of us here in this classroom and all the advantages, and yet some still have rejected. Oh Lord, bring people to their knees. Oh Lord, may those of us who are burdened and heavy laden, may we come find our rest in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.